there's no doubt that the old politics of the two-party system is now gone and over. I don't need lectures from you or anybody on, on the Sinn Féin side of the house. We're very reluctant to kind of say what's red lines, but, but we do have to take climate seriously. There's going to be constant criticism, there's going to be a lot of disappointment, and whoever goes into government is going to be unpopular. Okay. Hello and welcome to the Your Politics podcast from RTE News. I'm Sandra Hurley and I'm joined by our political correspondent Paul Cunningham and political coverage editor David Murphy. Just uh, come on to express our solidarity and our support with you. Okay, thanks so much. I know you don't know everything is possible. Like, yes, yeah. And uh, how do you, do you know, do you know what's going to be response to the uh, Putin threats about the nukes? He's, he's threatened uh, like never seen the... Do you, do you see yes, that? I have, yeah. Indeed. yeah. I think we are going out to Brussels tonight uh, to meet with all the other European leaders. Yeah, yeah. Unity is important amongst all of yeah. us in terms of our response to this. You know? So it's very serious and uh, we do everything we possibly can to help. That clip was an extract of the Taoiseach Michal Martin meeting a Ukrainian man protesting outside Leinster House this afternoon. Early this morning, Russian President Vladimir Putin launched a full-scale military invasion of Ukraine. Despite weeks of shuttle diplomacy, this could now be the start of the largest conflict in Europe since the Second World War. As you heard there, the Taoiseach is heading to Brussels this evening for an emergency summit. Earlier, he condemned the attack as an outrageous and moral breach of the most fundamental principles of international law. Paul, the Irish government today saying Ireland remains militarily neutral, but it's not neutral on this conflict. Absolutely. When it comes down to the actions by the Russian president and through him on his orders, um, Russian military forces crossing into Ukraine, the government is saying it's not neutral and it completely condemns the actions that have been taken. They say they breach international law. Um, indeed, Michal Martin, when he was standing outside uh, of Leinster House speaking with protesters from Ukraine, said that the vast, vast, vast majority of Irish people would view what was happening was reprehensible and disgusting and that the EU was going to work collectively to try and have some impact on the situation. Just exactly what impact they're going to have, Sandra, is one we're going to have to watch. What measures do they take? But it's been pretty clear from both the US president and from the European Union and from NATO leaders that they're not looking at any military intervention in Ukraine. So Ukraine, to a certain extent, is on its own. And we're just going to have to watch over the coming hours and possibly days and possibly weeks, who knows how long and what the outcome is going to be. And David, what they're looking at really is sanctions. Uh, The European leaders tonight trying to agree some sort of package of sanctions. The Irish position is that they should be the most severe and not incremental. How difficult is it going to be, be to get that agreement? Well, I think it's going to be really hard because the question really is with this, how far do you go? So if you think about it, um, if you were to go for ultimate sanctions, you would have to think about the imports of energy from Russia. And in terms of that, we know that about a third of Europe's energy uh, in terms of gas comes from Russia. So if they wanted to really do go the whole hog, that's what they would be looking at. But we also know that gas prices have been rising. We've got a major inflationary problem right across the EU. And therefore, this would really add to that quite significantly. And indeed, people are feeling it here in terms of their energy prices. So that's that's the kernel of the issue in terms of really hurting Russia financially. By hurting Russia, you also end up hurting yourselves. But an interesting part of it 
is actually assets. Because if you go to London, you know, a, an awful lot of property in London is owned by high net worth individuals from Russia. Over the past few months, those individuals will have moved the ownership of their assets offshore, perhaps into places like the Channel Islands or put them into shell companies, which maybe are located in places like the British Virgin Islands, where it's difficult to get at, or where the authorities in countries like the UK can't see who the ultimate owner is. So for all of those people with strong Russian business connections, they will have already moved some time ago to ensure that they're not going to get caught up in this. So far, the sanctions that have been imposed, particularly in terms of banks, you would have to say, particularly in terms of the UK, they could have gone a lot further. And what they've done so far isn't that strong. But a lot of attention will turn to tonight in the uh, in Brussels to see how far the EU leaders will go. What sort of sanctions will they impose? What effect will it really have on Russia? It would seem as if the Russian financial system has been set up for this for some time. Um, they've stockpiled in terms of their own energy reserves. They've also made sure that their own treasury is um, has got ample supplies of assets ample supplies of cash, and it's actually been increasing since 2014. It would seem as if Vladimir Putin has taken his moment quite carefully because he's done it at a time when there's inflation. He's done it at a time when there's pressure in terms of gas supplies too. And Paul, Ireland retains still this temporary seat on the UN Security Council. What does that matter? What influence can Ireland have and what can the UN Security Council do when Russia still has its permanent seat and it can veto any resolution? Yeah, and it also has some support from one of the five permanent members, and that is China. So China didn't use the word invasion, even though Russian forces had crossed over into the sovereign state of Ukraine. So that clearly is an indication that China is in some level going to be operating with Russia. So we know from previous um, conflagrations that the UN Security Council often gets bogged down because those permanent members have vetoes and therefore they can veto action. Ireland, uh, uh, on a two-seat chair, um, has a voice, and that's probably the height of it. We have a voice to be able to say what has taken place is wrong. We have a voice to say that the war should stop. We have a voice to engage in some form of diplomacy, whether it's at the UN level or through the OSCE or through the EU or multiple different frameworks. Um, so I think what you have is an opportunity to show up for um, what the government says is it wants to stand in solidarity with Ukraine. What it's not able to do is um, drive through an agenda because the manner in which the Security Council is oriented that just simply isn't possible. What happens is it grinds to a halt. And David, we've seen here the uh, Irish political system uh, engaging with the Russian ambassador to Ireland, Yuri Filatov. He appeared at Enroctus Committee recently. He promised that there was no invasion, no plans to attack Ukraine. Is there any point in politicians here engaging with somebody like that if they don't appear to be rational and if what they say doesn't appear to, uh, to pan out? Well, I think maybe that's going to be one of the lessons of all of this. Um, we have seen uh, the ambassador here uh, say that. We've also seen him um, really parrot what's been said by Russian ambassadors um, right across the Western world. And we've heard Vladimir Putin say these are only drills, they're only exercises. And then today we have the shocking news of the invasion. I think that one of the lessons from this perhaps is the uh, what you see on the ground. And in a way, 
the information which was distributed regarding the amount of troops who were uh, being built up on the border with Ukraine, uh, that sort of open source material seemed to be the most reliable guide of um, what was actually going to happen. And indeed, the United States, when it said uh, an invasion was just a matter of days away, was exactly right. Um, so I think from now on, people will certainly take what the Russians say with a pinch of salt. Having said that, was the West correct to engage in a massive campaign of diplomacy? Absolutely. It should have left no stone unturned in terms of trying to see if there could have been a negotiated solution to what's happening. And just on that, Paul, you were in Berlin on Tuesday at the Bundestag. Uh, Michal Martin, the Taoiseach, was meeting the German Chancellor. The German Chancellor and the uh, the French President have been engaging hugely in this diplomacy, but it simply hasn't worked. I think that's the that's the outcome. Um, they've tried um, tried in multiple ways, tried in joint ways, tried individually. Um, the Chancellor had been speaking directly with the Russian President, um, and yet it's come to naught. Um, what the sense in Berlin was that. Um, an invasion was coming. I think it was around the same day that the Ukrainian government announced that they were withdrawing their embassy from Moscow. And there was a certain inevitability about it by that stage. This was the way it was going to go. The only question was the scale. And that's a question we're still asking ourselves today. Um, they'd already moved on to sanctions. And uh, the Chancellor said that when it came to Nord Stream 2, this is the new gas pipeline, which was going to double the amount of gas that Russia delivers to Germany without having to cross through Ukraine, that that was on ice. It wasn't going to be certified. And um, if it isn't certified, then it can't operate. And therefore, Nord Stream 2 is on ice. And um, he was asked about just exactly what he was going to do. And uh, Chancellor Scholz said, well, that 30% um, of Germany's energy comes from gas, but only 50% of that comes from Russia. Um, and he said that there would be a price to be paid. And that's echoing what Taoiseach Michal Martin's been saying, indeed, honestly, of Radker, is that if you're going to engage in sanctions, then it's going to have a boomerang effect as well. Um, so that was the, the, the sense there. And I think when we, as journalists, are using, um, relaying what the leaders are saying in the, in the same way that we have to uh, really examine um, how we've reported uh, what the Russian president is saying when clearly not a word of it was true. This was planned and he was going to do it anyway in the same way that when um, Western leaders talk about targeted sanctions, we also have to see, are they actually targeted? And if they're saying they're going after um, Vladimir Putin, the military leaders, the political leaders, the financial leaders, is that what happens? Or as David suggested earlier on, have they already controlled things? Have they already put their assets beyond reach? Are they sitting pretty and that any action that is taken is actually going to hit the, the Russian people? So once again, we're just going to, how we elicit that, find that, confirm that is going to be very difficult. Yeah, I think some of this actually has to do with the question of how transparent um, the financial system is and how transparent the ownership of assets is. Because if you look um, right across Western Europe, there are all sorts of loopholes which allow people um, put assets beyond, uh, shall we say, the prying eyes of various tax authorities. You can look at the Isle of Man, Guernsey, Sark, San Marino, Liechtenstein in the United States, Delaware, Monaco to a certain extent. There's a whole long list of areas where traditionally people have been able to use shell companies to hide the ownership of assets. There's, there is a massive crackdown on this 
going on. But still, people are able to use those kind of loopholes. And I think that if you are trying to impose sanctions on people's assets, you need to make sure you can see who owns what. I think that that's a major part of it. I think the the other aspect of this is that it's not just about energy prices. It's actually going to be about food prices as well. Um, we remember the famous phrase that the Ukraine is the breadbasket of Europe. Indeed, I think Russia and the Ukraine supply about 14 or 15 percent of global wheat. And what's happened today is we've seen um, wheat futures begin to creep upwards in price. Mm. And at a time when you've got an inflationary problem, particularly for people on fixed incomes, um, buying food and a higher price of food causes big problems. I mean, that was Leo Varadkar, the Thonish, who was in the Doyle and he too said that he believed that food prices were going to go up as a result of this. He also said that um, he didn't believe there'd be food shortages on the basis of, if I'm correct, that Ireland produces nine times more than it actually uses itself. But he talked about how, you know, these effects were going to splinter and multiply. And one of them he also mentioned was fertiliser. Mightn't be the first thing that jumps to mind, but fertiliser is going to go up. And if farmers are going to have to pay more to get the fertiliser, well, then food prices are going to go up as well. And one thing we also saw on the dole this morning, there was unity uh, amongst the opposition and the government on the strength of sanctions, but the debate took a turn into partisan territory when the Thánaiste Leo Vradker responded to Sinn Féin's Piers Doherty. And, and I do particularly want to welcome um, the support of your party on this matter. Uh, I remember when I was Taoiseach back in, in 2018, when... Uh, Russians murdered uh, somebody in England, um, your party leader, Mary Lou MacDonald, um, being very critical of us for expelling a Russian diplomat at the time. Uh, she said it was a violation of our neutrality uh, for us to expel a Russian diplomat. Uh, and I, I want to he welcome... No, it's, 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 it's here, it's here. And the Taoiseach has raised before. I've Thank never you. said anything about Thank it. Uh, for a long time, your party has been uh, soft on Russia. Paul... They were having a pretty lofty discussion and uh, Leo Vradker introduced that. He'd clearly planned it. He was waving a piece of paper around uh, with Sinn Féin's position previously. Do you think that was kind of petty given the seriousness of what they were discussing? I thought given the tone of what was happening, it, it didn't chime right. Um, it was strange. I mean, he, uh, it was adroit by Leo Vradker because he made that comment after Pierce Doherty had already been on his feet twice, which meant that he wasn't going to be able to come back. So it was basically he was able to make the accusation and there wouldn't be a response. It was um, Keanu Callaghan of the Social Democrats who was standing up next and said, uh, before we introduced his point, which related to Irish people who are in Ukraine, who've been trying to get their family members out and the uh, Department of Foreign Affairs is a system in place, which he contended made the whole thing so uh, bureaucratic that it wasn't working. But the first thing he said was this wasn't a time for for scoring points and I think that was a fair fair comment. And David uh, we also saw that row yesterday between the Taoiseach and Mary Lou Macdonald it really descended you know Sinn Féin went in on housing as they've done so often but I think when she used that word corruption it's a very loaded word and that really set off me all Martin. That's right. So it was a discussion on housing and Mary Lou Macdonald did make the charge um, of corruption against Fianna Fáil, kind of out of the blue and it elicited the type of response from Michal Martin um, that you would expect. And he brought up Sinn Féin's past. He brought up the IRA. He brought up absolutely everything he could. And then uh, Mary Lou Macdonald countered um, by uh, muttering words such as Galway, 
the Galway tent, we presume she means, and also Ansbacker. These are the famous Ansbacker accounts where people um, were able to hide their money from the revenue commissioners uh, in the Cayman Islands, various other places. So, um, look, it's been very testy between uh, Sinn Féin and the government. The interesting thing is that from the government's point of view, in terms of the energy crisis, in terms of higher prices, it's trying to point the finger of blame at Russia. And clearly we can see if the Russians are invading Ukraine and prices go up, well, Russia has to bear some of the blame. That's absolutely beyond question. From the Sinn Féin point of view, that doesn't quite suit their narrative because the Sinn Féin narrative seeks to point the finger of blame at the government for not doing enough to counter higher energy prices, to counter inflation. The problem for the government with this is that if you really wanted to go in and tackle inflation, you would do two things. You would uh, lower income tax and you would raise social welfare rates um, to a, a significant extent. But to do both of those, you would actually add to inflation. So what the government is actually trying to do is to do a little bit without making the inflation problem worse. Um, so from the government's point of view, its job, as it sees it in terms of its uh, narrative in the Doyle, is to say it's international Russia is the problem. One of the things about that was just the technique that Mary Lou MacDonald was using, the Sinn Féin leader, and it's something, a tried and tested one, where she asks a question and when she sits down, then she will continue to throw, lob in little grenades every now and again. Pierce Doherty seems to be quite adept at that on Thursday as well. Exactly, just to sort of um, knock the Taoiseach off balance. But it was also interesting that when um, it changed from a discussion on homelessness into and the whole kitchen sink, one of the um, cases that uh, Mial Martin, the Taoiseach, mentioned was uh, Maria Cahill. And uh, Maria Cahill um, took to Twitter to say she was thankful that the Taoiseach had continued to raise her case um, on the basis that she doesn't believe she's got adequate answers from Mary Lou MacDonald in relation to the Republican movement and what happened to her. There was also an interesting interaction today um, with uh, Tonish Dalia Varadkar and Danny Healy Ray, uh, um, one of the rural independents. And he asked about the question of the uh, liquefied natural gas terminal, which is proposed for Tarbert in County Kerry. So the government is not in favour of this proposal, and indeed the Green Party is particularly against it. However, we've seen that the energy regulator in Ireland thinks that these type of options should be considered <coughs> because of Ireland's reliance on gas, particularly as it tries to uh, decarbonise and we use gas to back up our energy um, as we become more reliant on wind. Um, so the discussion was kind of interesting because uh, Leo Varadkar said, despite the fact that this proposal um, is seeking planning permission, we're not in favour of it. In fact, we're in favour of uh, using wind power and then storing that wind power either by way of battery or by way of hydrogen. Those technologies are quite far out into the distance. He did say that Eamon Ryan, the environment minister, is sanctioning nine gas-fired power plants. But you can see uh, that the concern about gas is beginning to increase 
quite significantly. It's not just what's happening in Russia now. There's a more long term problem. But what's happening with Russia now is definitely going to make it much, much more acute. And I think that that's interesting. One is in relation to the LNG stuff. An awful lot of it is sort of shale gas. So the manner in which it's extracted would have um, big difficulties when it comes to environmental process because it's fracking. Um, The other thing which is, and it'll be fascinating to see, is like Europe has already committed itself to reducing greenhouse gas emissions by 51% by the year 2030. And one of the key things it's doing is talking about having offshore wind off the West Coast, having these not fixed turbines on land, but floating ones out in the sea. And... um, there's been a big push. We've been told that there's 70 companies who are interested in developing it. And I think that's an argument which you're going to hear increasingly. If it is the case that Europe is vulnerable on the basis of its continued use of gas from Russia, we need to supercharge our ability to develop it off ground and then have a degree of self-sufficiency which allow us to be able to neutralise it. One thing I thought about the Nord Stream 2, which I mentioned to mention this pipeline from Russia to Germany. Um, Germany's going to get hit because of um, a shortage of gas, which means higher gas prices. Russia's going to lose because Germany is Russia's number one um, sort of asset in that. The only person who's actually happy about it is the US President Joe Biden, who had long argued that Nord Stream 2 gave too much influence and power to Russia, and they've been trying to stop it. Now, as a result of Russian actions, it is stopped. And just a last one to you, Paul. Uh, Phil Hogan, Ireland's former EU commissioner, he's been giving interviews this week hinting he might sue the commission and certainly putting it up to the Irish government for the manner of his departure. What do you make of it all? I I thought it was interesting that um, Phil Hogan would choose to go on that. If, I, if, if I'm correct, I think it was an interview, inter, interview he gave to Liberation mm-hmm. and on the basis of that it was picked up by the Irish media and immediately um, his opponents were back out saying this is a person who's going to pick up a huge pension from Brussels. He's picking up a huge person or pension from Ireland. Just exactly how much public money does this man believe he's going to get? I think it was Paul Murphy from People Before Profit. So it brought back up all of those things. Whereas um, Phil Hogan had already moved out of governance, was moved into the private sector and no doubt was securing remuneration. So I, I was actually surprised that he would choose to do it. Clearly, if he does take that action, he feels that he was really shoddily treated. It's coming up just after the Clifton trial collapsed. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but nonetheless, Michal Martin was asked about it and he said, well, I think that's a matter between Phil Hogan and the European Commission. The, the other interesting aspect of this is um, Leo Varadkar's comments on it. Like he was quite clear. And we also heard Pascal Donahue say something similar, really quite clear, both of them. When asked, is there a way back for uh, Phil Hogan into Fine Gael? And uh, their, their response was he did great work as European commissioner, but that golf event should never have happened. And they also pointed out that um, the reason why Phil Hogan got into Baller wasn't just the golf event. Um, it was other behaviour which seemed to breach the COVID-19 restrictions at the time in 2020. The other interesting thing about um, Phil Hogan giving an interview um, to the French newspaper and raising the prospect of potentially taking some legal action against the commission, you'd actually wonder whether or not it's going to go ahead because Phil Hogan is engaged in the lobbying game. And if you're based in Brussels, the only people really to lobby are the EU, mainly the commission. So why would you... Try, uh, hint that you're taking a legal action or that you may take legal action uh, against the commission who you're going to spend 
perhaps the rest of your career lobbying? I guess it's because he absolutely loved holding that trade portfolio. He loved being on the commission. He was a two-term commissioner, so therefore, you know, had increased influence. He was someone who was, a, you know, an English speaker in, in a language um, which was understood by business. He was a player. And then suddenly it was all taken away from him. And that seems to be the And he clearly remains is. aggrieved and has some scores to settle, I think, of both here and in Brussels. You betcha. Well, we'll have to leave it there. Thanks for listening to the Your Politics podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please subscribe and leave a review. Goodbye until next week. <laughs>